You're listening to the Complete Human Podcast with me, Evan DeMarco. And me, Jana Breslin. A podcast where we combine our decades of experience as health and wellness experts to educate you on how to bio-optimize your way to becoming a complete human. We are on a mission to inspire the necessary change we need to ensure a thriving existence for all. That's why with every episode, we bring you real science, deeper intelligence, and actionable takeaways in hopes of not only changing the trajectory of your health, but changing the trajectory of the entire human race. Are you ready to become a complete human? Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of the Complete Human Podcast with your host, Jana Breslin and Evan DeMarco. We are here for another rapid fire edition on all things health and wellness. And today we are talking about metabolic flexibility. Yes. And I have never heard of this term before you. So I'm sure there are plenty of people who are like, what is metabolic flexibility? So Evan, tell us, what is it? It's my ability to eat mac and cheese and then touch my toes. Wow. Yes. Goals. No. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because you and I actually kind of met, you know, or spent, you know, we really did meet in Costa Rica at the XPT event with Laird Hamilton and Gabby Reese. And one of the things that happened there was I, I did a whole presentation on this. So for a number of years, I've really been talking about metabolic flexibility. And then I think in the age of COVID, it really kind of came to light as a metabolic health syndrome or metabolic health really being one of the things that led to negative COVID outcomes. So even though people are talking about metabolic health, there's really not a fundamental understanding of it. And and I think even within the medical community, there's no clear definition of metabolic flexibility or metabolic health. But before we kind of get to what it is, you know, the best way to lead up to that is to really understand how our body utilizes fool, uh, food. And in that, we kind of really have to talk about our macronutrients, right, which are carbs, fats, and proteins. And for the most part, what happens is, you know, when we take in a carbohydrate, our body produces insulin to help break that down into the ATP, the Krebs cycle, so we can utilize that for energy. Fat and protein are broken down in different ways, you know, fats broken into triglycerides, and then we utilize those predominantly while we're at rest. So metabolic flexibility in a lot of ways could be understood as our body's ability to utilize different fuel sources at different times. If we're working out, we use carbohydrates. If we're at rest, we use fat. And then our body's really ability to switch between those two processes, those two, those two uh, metabolic processes quickly. Now, what happens a lot of time, especially as people become older or they succumb to the modern Western diet is they become more insulin resistant. And so the two real functions of metabolic flexibility that I like to focus on are mitochondrial function or dysfunction oftentimes and insulin resistance or insulin sensitivity. And so type 2 diabetes really is just that. It's insulin resistance because of our diets, because of the amount of sugar that we've eaten, our processed foods, or the inflammatory nature of our lifestyles. Our bodies are simply not able to create enough insulin or our food intake or the, the nature of our food intake is so high that insulin just does not do what it once did. Okay. So why is metabolic flexibility essential? Why is it essential for us to have it. In my personal belief, I think metabolic flexibility is probably the greatest indicator of health. Now, one of the things that we talk a lot about on the show is the value of diagnostic testing. And within diagnostic testing, we can learn so much about ourselves. We can learn, you know, what our cholesterol is, you know, what our blood pressure is, what our, you know, microbiome looks like. Uh, you know, we can learn all of these different things about our body. But since there's no singular test for metabolic flexibility, we have to really take a lot of that data and compile that into our understanding of the human body and then figure out how metabolically flexible are we? Now, oftentimes people will ask, well, I, you know, if there's no single test, how do I know? And some of the great indicators of metabolic inflexibility 
are going to be things like, you know, do you constantly need to eat? You know, we used to talk about it all the time. It's like a good thing. You should graze, right? Eat every three to four hours. But if you can't go more than two to three hours without eating, that's usually a sign of metabolic inflexibility. Do you get really tired after you eat? That's another one. Do you constantly need stimulants to keep you going throughout the day? You know, are, are you a caffeine junkie? Are you going for the Red Bull or the coffee at three o'clock or the 8,000 calorie caramel macchiato across the street from your office? So most of the time, food is a big indicator. Now, another one is, do you rapidly put on weight? And if you gain weight, do you have a hard time losing weight? And that's really another indication of metabolic inflexibility. So some things that we can really look at to start to ascertain, has our lifestyle put us in a position where we're no longer metabolically flexible? Understood. And how does one become more metabolically flexible? Touch your toes more. No. 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 Okay. See, I thought it was funny the first time. Apparently it wasn't. It certainly wasn't funny the second time. You know, so there's a lot of different things that we can do. And, and there's a process in which we go through to improve metabolic flexibility. I like to beat up keto as a diet. I like to beat up all diets. I think diets are a four-letter word, right? But fat adaptation is a great way to help us become metabolically flexible. And I like to do fat adaptation about every six weeks. We'll all go through like a one-week period where I eat higher fat. That allows me to really burn through existing glycogen stores in my system, really reset metabolically, and then again, start to pair carbohydrate intake with activity level. Hot and cold immersion therapy are one ways to really improve mitochondrial function. And if we look at mitochondrial dysfunction as one of the keys to metabolic inflexibility, improving mitochondrial function really helps us to become more metabolically flexible. So hot and cold immersion therapy are things that we absolutely love for improving metabolic flexibility. Higher protein diets once we get back into going out of fat adaptation, right? So I think that if you're working out and you're really focusing on total health, which is including resistance training, cardiovascular training, you need more protein from animal sources. And that's a big distinction. And I think, you know, one of the things that we found is plant-based protein sources have actually been known to cause leaky gut syndrome. So now if we're pairing microbiome testing with metabolic flexibility and we're relying solely on plant sources for our protein intake, we have the propensity for microbiome dysfunction. Now, would you say that's the case with plant protein supplements? Like protein powder? You know, anytime we're using legumes, which is the predominant source of plant protein, there is a probability for leaky gut. So what we do know based off of all of the research is that plant protein has some negative side effects over animal-based protein. What we do need to do is distinguish between grass-fed or pasture-raised animal protein and what we call CAFO. That stuff's horrible. Don't touch that. But if we're comparing like a pea protein and a grass-fed, grass-finished beef, take the beef every single day. Okay. One of the things I really like for improving metabolic function or metabolic health and mitochondrial function is PEMF. And we've you know, we've done this uh, quite a bit. So that's pulsed electromagnetic fields and, uh, you know, just a mat that you lay on. Now, the research that came out of NASA for this as far as improving uh, mitochondrial function is pretty fascinating. So, you know, I, I think that that's one of those tips that you can actually implement on a daily basis. It can be expensive. Let's just, you know, caution the audience to, to be aware of that. But PEMF is a really cool method from which to improve metabolic health. Interesting. Yeah. Great. Uh, so you mentioned lab work. 
and, you know, diagnostic testing. Obviously, this is something that we talk about extensively, but what lab work markers would indicate that someone is metabolically flexible or inflexible? You know, if, if we look at insulin resistance as kind of one of the primary catalysts for metabolic inflexibility, then your A1C is going to be that one that you're always going to want to look at, right? So, you know, elevated A1C is going to be an indication of diabetes, prediabetes, in your case, pre 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 diabetes. <laughs> I've got some blood sugar issues. Blood sugar issues. Now, interestingly enough, some of that is genetic, right? People can be genetically predisposed to metabolic inflexibility. That is a very real thing. So we have to use epigenetics, which is something we talk about all the time. Epigenetics is simply rising above your genes. And if we utilize some of these practices, then we can actually kind of overcome our genetic predispositions and become metabolically flexible. A1C is absolutely one that we should look at. You know, again, I, lo- I think all blood markers are an, an indication of, of health, right? So you can actually do metabolic tests, but they're not metabolic flexibility tests. So that's going to be your basal metabolic rate, your resting metabolic rate. And in that, you're going to find out like how many calories do I need to take in just to lay in bed and do nothing all day? Mm-hmm. And then through the Harris-Benedict equation, which is actually something that still has kind of stood the test of time, we can start to pair activity level with caloric intake. So if I know that I need 1,500 calories to just lay in bed, well, then how many calories do I need above that to pursue an active, healthy lifestyle? And then we start to partition our macronutrients based off of that. If I know that I'm going to be in the gym doing CrossFit six days a week, I need more carbs. I need to fuel my body. I need that muscle glycogen. Um, I also need protein for muscle protein synthesis. I need to be able to recover properly so that I can go back in the gym and continue to stress my body. Nutrient partition is really kind of an essential component. And one of the challenges that we see in today's market is that there's so many diets out there that people follow that aren't based off of their unique microbiome. They're not based off their unique makeup. And they're certainly not based off of a goal of metabolic flexibility, right? Like keto, again, I, I, I beat up keto a lot just because if you're constantly eating high fat and then you're trying to work out and you know increase muscle mass, increase bone density, increase all of the things that come from an active, healthy lifestyle, ultimately you're going to have a mismatch there. So you need those carbohydrates to fuel yourself. There was a girl I used to work out with in CrossFit and she was on a keto diet, bulging CrossFit six times a week. And you know maybe it works for her, but for the general population, I would say that's a little rough. <laughs> I would say, and, and again, I, I've done, I do fat adaptation. You know, like I said, I'll go a week with high fat just to really do a little bit of a reset, but then start to pair the carbohydrates with activity level. Mm-hmm. And when I say carbohydrates, I'm really talking good, clean carbs. That doesn't mean I eat a, you know, a big bowl of sugar. Mm-hmm. Pastries and such. I have been known to eat those too. But here's here's the thing about being metabolically flexible. And I love to tell this story. I was at a medical conference speaking and after the conference, you know, a bunch of people went out to dinner. And these were all some of your top docs in the field. Like a lot of people that, you know, podcasts, if you follow doctors in this, this space, you've heard of a lot of these. And we all sit down to dinner and there's probably like 15 to 20 of us. And everybody starts ordering like off menu, right? Like I'll take this without that. And I, you know, because everybody's like a vegan or a pescatarian or whatnot. Gluten-free, dairy. Free, sugar free. Exactly. And like and, and literally the waiter wanted to just shoot himself in the face. So it gets to me and I'm like, I just order like like a steak and the lobster mac and cheese and the loaf of bread and a bottle of wine. And people are looking at me like, how do you do that? I'm like, because I'm metabolically flexible. If we stay the course, then going off the course for a day to have a really good, you know, dinner with some friends mm-hmm. isn't going to destroy you. But if you're constantly on that course where you're eating the loaf of bread and the lobster mac and cheese and the bottle of wine every single night, there's no way you're going to be metabolically flexible. Right. 
the reason why you can do that is because you live a healthy lifestyle outside of that one night. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the thing you find about people who live healthy lifestyles is they can deviate for a day and it doesn't destroy them. And the inverse is true, right? If you live a horribly unhealthy existence, one day at the gym isn't going to make you healthy. So metabolic flexibility is more a function of habit and understanding your unique makeup, understanding what leads to insulin resistance and mitochondrial dysfunction, and then really doing everything that we can to maintain healthy insulin levels and healthy mitochondrial function as long as we can. Because that right. once those go off the cliff, that's when we get old fast. What's fascinating too is we've done some glucose monitoring throughout our optimization journey. And what we've noticed is some things affect you know, I could eat rice and maybe you can't eat beans and our insulin spikes in very different ways. Like we could, we eat the exact same meal, but mine could spike a lot and yours won't. Mm -hmm. And so it really, really goes to show that personalization and having an individualized look at your nutrition is key here. And that should go to show you too that if somebody is trying to tell you that one size fits all, they're selling you something. And I talk a lot about this, right? Like I don't begrudge people for trying to disseminate great information. I don't begrudge people for trying to make a dollar. We live in a capitalist society. Everybody's got to put food on the table, whether that's keto or paleo or pescatarian, it doesn't matter. But if someone's trying to tell you that one size fits all, really look at the methodology behind that messaging. Because mm -hmm. the truth is, is with personalized information, you know, continuous glucose monitoring, microbiome testing, all these things, we can ultimately carve a very clean path forward, unique to us, that's going to optimize our own own health and wellness trajectory. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, that's all the questions I had. Cool. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's <laughs> Metabolic Flexibility. Thank you for tuning in for another rapid fire edition of the Complete Human Podcast with your host, Jana Breslin and Evan DeMarco. We'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.